Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hello and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our first proper episode for 2020. This humble little podcast had its first birthday recently. Can you believe it's been a year, Pamela? No, it's flown by, but it's been so fun and we're looking forward to more great things for this year, 2020. Indeed. Starting with today, and we've added a little segment in our interviews called Six Quick Questions, which is a bit of fun. It is, and we haven't prepared for this, but we're going to have a go. (laughs) So, are you ready for this? Yes. We're going to do it. Right. Keyboard or pen and paper? Both. Mm. Favourite writing snack? Chai latte. So that that goes away, does away with tea or coffee. <laughs> Can't drink either. Right. Ebook or the real thing? The real thing. Cats or dogs? Neither. Allergic. Huh. Yeah. Comedy or tragedy? Comedy. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. So first six quick questions. <laughs> oh, okay, Pamela, your turn. Keyboard or pen and paper? Both. Favourite writing snack? Um, almonds mixed with chocolate. <laughs> oh, yum. Tea or coffee? Tea. Ebook or the real thing? Definitely the real thing. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Ooh, comedy or tragedy? <sighs> yeah, that's a hard one. Comedy, I think. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So let's kick off our first reviews for the year. What have you got in store for us today, Pamela? Uh, So we're kicking off the year with a bit of a STEM theme, in particular girls in STEM. And if you don't know, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) And um, sometimes it's actually referred to as STEAM. So there's the A for arts in there. Um, You know, and... It was, I think, um, Girls in STEM Day the other day. So we're sort of um, just in time for that. So my first, for my first review, I have Edie's Experiments 1, How to Make Friends by Charlotte Barkler and illustrated by Sandy Flett, published by Penguin Random House under the Puffin imprint on February the 4th, just a couple of weeks ago, 2020. Yeah. So would you read the jacket blurb for us? A new school, a classroom full of potential new friends and a science kit. What could possibly go wrong? I'm Edie and I love science. So when I started at a new school, I decided it could be one giant experiment. Can I give you some advice? Avoid sliming your entire classroom. You could end up in trouble with your teacher, your new classmates and the principal. 
Between the great slime fiasco, the apology cookie surprise, and the wrinkle cream mix-up, I've discovered making friends isn't an exact science. Oh, sounds gorgeous. <laughs> and what genre would you class this as? Well, I, I actually don't really know. I guess it would be contemporary slash humour slash, well, it has STEM themes in it, so I don't know if STEM's really a genre, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, we do like to make up our own, so... Oh. And what is the estimated word count? I didn't do my page count times, you know, words on page count thing for this. I just guessed it's about 30,000 words. So don't take it. And what drew you to this book? So Penguin actually emailed me to see if I'd be interested in this book and I was immediately because, as you'll hear in my interview later on in this episode, Charlotte and I were in a critique group together and I read a very early draft of this of the first few chapters of this. So I was keen to see the finished product. But also it's a STEM-themed lower middle grade book with a female protagonist and there aren't many of those. So I was keen to check it out. Yeah, of course. So tell us about it. Yeah, so Edie is a science lover and she's just moved to a new house and a new school. She's determined to make new friends. So on her first day of school, she conducts the surprise slime experiment. Unfortunately, it backfires and she gets into trouble. But to make amends, she embarks on the apology cookie experiment, which also (laughs) goes wrong. (laughs) And so Edie digs herself deeper and deeper in trouble with each failed experiment and each misunderstanding and is still yet to make any friends. Her enthusiasm and determination keep her going for so long, but eventually even they give up and she decides to give up on science for good until an accident calls on Edie's knowledge and she wins the day. Oh, brilliant. So what was your overall enjoyment? This is a great book, particularly for young girls interested in STEM. I really identified with this hapless, innocent character who hasn't been in trouble for You know, who hasn't been in trouble for something they did innocently or knowingly? It's not just me, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I felt it was really rounded. It built to a satisfying conclusion through the progression of Edie's experiments. I really liked that Charlotte wrote a character who was vulnerable and naive. I've seen a big push away from male protagonists in the last few years, but the pendulum has kind of swung the other way to strong female characters. We heard, you know, we were hearing over the years we need strong female characters from um, publishers. But, you know, we've got strong female characters and we also need female characters who are not strong. We need characters who kids can relate to, be they shy, sensitive or quiet, you know, boy or girl. And I think Charlotte did a great job of writing a character who is relatable and strives to learn and grow through the book. So, yeah, well done, Charlotte. Yes, and I've got a very shy eight-year-old girl who I've given this book to, so I'm really interested to see how she enjoys it, actually. Mm. So on that theme, who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Well, I think Gigi would love this book if she, when she reads it. Um, I've, seen it <laughs> yes. for, um, I've seen it listed for nine plus, but I think it would suit younger readers too. Strong readers from six or seven up will love it. Um, or even as a read aloud, it, it, there's nothing scary or too complex about it. So, yeah. So de- definitely for um, both confident and reluctant readers then? Yeah, I think it would suit reluctant readers. It's got plenty of visual cues um, and it's quite easy to read and it's, you know, it's not too fast-paced. Brilliant. 
Yeah, so before we came, come back to my second review, because I do have two reviews today, what are you reviewing today, Julie? Yeah, today I'm reviewing Lizard's Tale by Wen Wei Chan, illustrated by Sarah Allen, published by Tex Publishing in July 2019. Okay, I haven't heard about this one, so I'd be interested to hear. Can you read the jacket blurb for us, please? Yes, of course. A thief, a spy, a mysterious code book, and a whole lot of trouble. It's 1940 and World War II is being fought in faraway Europe. Lizard doesn't know much about that. He lives in Singapore's Chinatown, surviving on odd jobs and petty theft. When boss man Beng asks him to steal a teak box from a suite in the glamorous Raffles Hotel, Lizard knows the job is important but can he know just how dangerous it is? A sinister man appears in the shadows and Lizard's best friend Lily shows up with unexpected fighting skills and her eye on what's in the box. And Lizard finds himself on an exciting, action-packed adventure in a world of coded secrets, Japanese invasion plans and undercover spies. Wow. That sounds mm. amazing. Actually, sounds you like would adult. love this. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, I've been to Raffles. I haven't been in, but I've been to Raffles Hotel. I love Singapore. But yes, ah, yes. so um, we don't. I don't think we need to make up our own genre for this one, do we? No, I think we'd call it middle grade historic fiction with elements of mystery and intrigue. Oh, I think it's a one for both of us. Um, <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> Now, we know that word counts don't really matter, but where would you mm. It still matters to Maeve and Julie. I can't shirk it. I'd say this is 60,000, actually, <laughs> so quite meaty for me. Yeah. Well, I think I think um, the word counts kind of do matter to the reader at the end of the day, is how thick the book is and how much reading it is, you know, whether or not it does matter to whether a publisher is going to like it. So, yeah, um, yeah that's why we'll still talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So other than that amazing blurb, what drew you to this book? So I went to the Younger Son bookshop in Yarraville, Victoria, a couple of days before Christmas, actually. I was on the hunt for a book for Giselle. Um, I don't know why I needed more books, but, yeah, <laughs> obviously <laughs> I did. You never have to and um, the lovely Claire at the Younger Son served me. We got talking about books and the podcast and she recommended Lizard's Tale, um, and to be honest, she had me at World War II mystery set in Singapore. <laughs> so I was like, yes, and the cover's gorgeous as well. Yeah. Oh, So can you tell us more about it? Sure. Lizard will never forget the day Uncle Archie disappeared. It's firmly etched in his brain. His uncle went out for something simple, like a curry puff, and never returned. Lizard knew his uncle was important in the British Army, but he didn't realise how important. Stranded and alone, he's befriended by Lily. She arranges for Lizard to sleep in a cubicle above her family's tailor shop. Lizard, having had a proper English education from Uncle Archie, sets about being a scribe for those who need translations into English. But that doesn't always put food in his belly. He also does odd jobs for anyone and, ev and everyone. Sometimes they're noble, most often they're dodgy. So when Bossman Beng asks him to steal a box from the swanky Raffles Hotel, 
Lizard would never imagine how much trouble that box could bring. There's the spoiled Georgina Whitford-Jones who must be appeased or she'll dob Lizard into her important father. Almost immediately after stealing it, Lizard will do anything to return it, especially when boss man Bing is found with a knife in his back. He's determined to return the bad luck box until he's challenged by Lily who reveals her intentions for it. Being a child spy for the British government's maximum ops division is hardly what Lizard expected of his long-term friend, but that's what Lily is, and it turns out she's his best and only way of keeping the box out of enemy hands, as well as helping solve the mystery of Uncle Archie's disappearance. There's murder, mayhem and mystery in this World War II tale set in Singapore, I absolutely love the setting and could picture the authentic characters and settings so vividly by Wang Wai. She nailed the time period so effectively and I wished I could take a trip to Singapore and check into the Raffles Hotel to watch the whole book play out before me. The mystery was intricate and detailed with World War II historic information woven in expertly. This was interesting in that the sidekick in Lizard's friend Lily had her own significant storyline, which made this all the richer. It sort of reminded me a little of Thomas Taylor's Malamander, where the character of Violet almost eclipsed the main character in Herbert Lemon. By the end of the book, I was wishing that Wang Wai had planned a sequel to see where Lizard and Lily's adventures continues. Oh, interesting. I think I'm going to have to read this one. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I think we'll do a swapsy. <laughs> so, obviously, you enjoy this one. Oh, uh, yes. I think you can guess that I love this book to the moon and back. Um, and I'm quite astounded that this is Wang Wai Chan's debut novel. Definitely one to watch, I think, in the future. Yeah, wow. I have to watch that name. Um, so who who will love this book? What age is it for? Because it does sound like it's not lower middle grade. No, it's definitely for 10 plus, I think, with its intricate mystery and intriguing setting. Okay. And what about for reluctant readers? No, this is definitely a confident reader endeavour with its intricate setting and, and also the World War II plot lines. It's, it kind of takes a little bit of um, nutting out if you get my drift. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's it for my first review in 2020. Woohoo! And what is your next book, Pamela? So for my next review, I have something a little different. I had the great pleasure of reading The Sound of the Dark, published by 100 Story Building. In case you haven't heard of it, 100 Story Building is a social enterprise which supports childhood literacy for disadvantaged children in Melbourne's West. The Sound of the Dark is Australia's only book written and edited by children as a part of their program, Early Harvest, which gives upper primary students insight and experience in the publishing process. The theme of the book is creepy horror and includes a contribution by Oliver Pomervan, who was voted for unanimously by the young editors. Not only do they love his books, but they saw their own diverse histories reflected in his Thai Australian background. The students also received coaching from author-illustrator Tony Wilson, and the book is supported by a slew of successful authors and editors, including Maxine Bernaber-Clark, Andy Griffiths, Davina Bell, and Andrew MacDonald. The editors chose the theme, called for submissions, chose the winning 15 stories out of 135 submissions, commissioned the cover and the illustrations, and gave the students feedback on their work. 
So to the book itself, I was absolutely blown away by this publication. Just flicking through it when I received it, I was so intrigued by the amazing illustrations and the extras, like a page of horror jokes and a horror quiz. Gorgeous. This book is, I know. I just I straight away I had to get Joke Boy, who loves oh, I bet. You know, funny horror and any sort of horror. Okay, have a look at this. Um, and this book is so perfect for him. And he actually created his own genre, horror humor. Can you believe? Which is kind of it. There's a choose your own adventure scattered among the other stories a book of horror jokes or a page of horror jokes, some very short stories and some longer stories. And let me tell you, these kids know how to use tension in their stories. The stories are creepy, mysterious, and downright nail biting, but nothing too gory or scary. They are, after all, by kids and for kids. The Sound of the Dark is available um, online in online bookstores um, from the 100-storey building website and some brick bricks and mortar bookstores. I did spot it on the shelves of my local Avenue bookstore. So if you have a child who loves a bit of middle-grade horror, be sure to grab a copy, um, and it's called The Sound of the Dark. Fantastic. So that's it for me this episode. And, Julie, you have another book to share? Yeah, we're both doing a double-double. Um, yeah. So uh, and it's also a double interview episode as well. It's a double-double-double oh, today. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so for your second book, what is the title of this one? Yeah, The Chicken's Curse by Frances Watts, illustrated by Kelly Canby, published by Alan and Unwin on February 4th, I think, 2020. Okay, now this one, I think we kind of went, oh, shall I do it? So you do it. I've seen this one. I'm yeah. Really interesting. So can you share the back jacket blurb with us, please? Sure. Felix and Livia are being pursued across the Roman Empire from the darkest, dampest corner of Gaul to the dry desert sands of Tadmor. They must reach Rome by the Ides of April to rescue Livia's brother, before he is sent into the arena to do battle with lions and perhaps a vicious ostrich or two. Along the way, the pair are helped and hindered by a selfish sacred chicken, a foolish camel and a grumpy magic carpet as they encounter bandits, a shipwreck and a false accusation. Will they save Livia's brother in time or will they all fall victim to the chicken's curse? A classic adventure of friendship, fate and fortune from the winner of the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Children's Fiction. Oh, now, there's, it sort of sounds like a similar genre to the last one, a, a bit historical, a bit of yeah. magic. Yeah, definitely. Should, I think his, we would probably yeah. call it historic fiction adventure with a dash of magical realism. There you go. Maybe we can shorten that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Our own yes. genres. Okay, so um, word count, what do you think? I guess I'd say about 50,000, but I have also given up on the page counting. I now just flick it, you know, through my fingertips and think, hmm, roughly 50,000. Mm. <laughs> so How long did it take completely me? Completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> uh, so what drew you to this book? Well, the cover, of course. Kelly Canby did the illustrations and it's just delightful. Um, and for anyone who knows Kelly Canby's other work, she illustrated The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Meddleston by Jacqueline Moriarty, and everybody loves that cover. So, mm, I do. I like Kelly Canby's work. Yeah, I follow yeah. her. 
Uh, so can you tell us more about it? Sure. Felix is stuck serving a Roman general with very bad luck. He knows if he stays for the ensuing battle, he will perish. So he sneaks out of camp, determined to return to his mother in Rome. When he encounters a sacred chicken that speaks to him, everything changes. And not always for the better. Felix and Livia, a slave girl on the run, are thrust together in a quest to make it to Rome to rescue her brother from Caesar's infamous arena. At first glance, the sacred chicken seems nothing but a hindrance. They get chased by thugs, shipwrecked, marooned on an island, threatened by the leader of a caravanserai, not to mention encountering a talking camel and a magic carpet with a will of its own. Everything is against them, and with each turn they seem to collect strange items which spirit them further from their destination. All is not lost and one by one pieces of this epic adventure tie in together until they triumph not by the sword but by the word in none other than the arena of Caesar. Right, that sounds like there's quite a lot in there, a lot to, to kind of yes. um, yeah, tempt you. <laughs> um, and what was your overall enjoyment? Yeah, this was an epic journey with all the twists and turns of a classic epic where our protagonists find themselves in peril after peril. With the addition of one rather annoying chicken, this tale was so utterly addictive. I simply had to know if they ever made it to Rome and how they would triumph. When all of the pieces fell into place, I was left sighing with relief, but also cheering with joy. It was a truly quirky tale that left me so chuffed by its conclusion. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, another one I'll have to bring along to our next meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Bags of books to swap. Um, yep. So yeah, who will love this book? What age do you think? Oh, definitely for 10 plus. I, I've managed to get two upper middle grades in the one episode. Um, imagine. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done a whole lot of upper middle grade. I think it's no. it's an area that seems to be growing and getting more attention because I don't know I think YA is just sort of struggling a little bit at the moment that's what I hear I don't know yeah. for sure but I think and there's, um, there's such a chasm between upper middle grade and lower middle grade and YA like that jump from lower mm. middle grade to YA is, is so huge so yeah absolutely yeah. and and I think um, YA tends to be unless you're doing fantasy or, or horror, it tends to be quite full on. And I think, um, yeah, teens still want to read something meaty and fun um, without, exactly. you know, resorting back. So, yeah, it does seem to be picking up. So um, and so now we are talking about older kids, but do you think reluctant readers will enjoy this book or more confident readers? No, it's definitely a confident reader read. Um, it's quite intricate how the story plays out. And also, I mean, it has a considerable word count, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, that, well, that's it. That's our first episode back. Done. Done. And, yeah, enjoy the the two, the double interview. Yes, coming up. Next. Yes, we little. have um, Catherine Pelosi and Charlotte Barkler. So, yeah, we'll uh, catch you soon. Next time.
Charlotte Barclay is a debut author with two novels and one picture book out in 2020. The first of these was a picture book called All Bodies Are Good Bodies and released on January the 1st, and it looks fantastic. And the second is Edie's Experiments 1, How to Make Friends, which was released on February 4th by Penguin Random House and will be launched on February 23rd. Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, Charlotte. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Great. So first up, congratulations on making it through that invisible barrier to publishing and securing three contracts back to back. That's an amazing achievement. Oh, thank you. It is very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for our listeners, I shall explain that Charlotte and I used to belong to a small writer's critique group, which was organised by um, Squibby, the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators. Um, And I critiqued an early draft of Edie's experiments back in 2017 before it was contracted. And so it was very exciting to read the final product. (laughs) So, Charlotte, can you tell us the pathway from back way back then to publication um, for this book? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, it was, I guess, well, the initial step was probably getting the picture book contract initially because that kind of, um, I guess, when I started writing picture books uh, and then ended up with a contract through that, I was very fortunate. Um, And then I started to kind of think about writing longer works um, and, yeah, the middle grade um, market was of interest. So um, once I had the idea for Edie's experiments, um, yeah, I probably wrote it over maybe a year to 18 months-ish, just writing it um, in the gaps um, at evenings or on the weekends or whatever. Um, And then... Yeah, so was it 2017 that you critiqued it? I couldn't actually remember when it was. But it, it was a while. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just over a period of time I got it critiqued, or like chapters of it critiqued, both in our online Scooby um, critique group that you um, very kindly critiqued mine through that, <laughs> as well as an in-person critique group, um, Right Links up in Brisbane. Um, yeah, so basically I just was – uh, over a period of time, was writing it, um, getting it critiqued, reworking it, getting more feedback, reworking it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, oh, at some point, <laughs> I decided it was time to take the plunge. Um, and, oh, I'd also had it, like, appraised at CYA, I think. Um, yeah, so basically I just took all the feedback on board and kept making it as good as I could. And then I approached um, some agents and ended up with the lovely Sarah McKenzie um, as an agent um, who, uh, yeah, uh, what do you call it, submitted it to some different publishers towards the end of, it must have been 2018, no, uh, yes, end of 2018, sorry. Yep, at the end of 2018, she uh, submitted it to various publishers and I was actually really lucky to have two um, publishers offer me a two book deal for that middle grade book um, and it was a very hard decision to decide which one but I went with the wonderful Penguin Random House and um, yeah so that was signed pretty much in the new year of 2019 the contract I think or perhaps the end of 2018 um, and yeah uh, I don't, I'm not sure what your original question was now <laughs> I, I think that was it the pathway okay. to publication <laughs> oh, there we go so it's obviously you signed the contract about a year ago and then it's been um, in progress, you know, in the publishing process since then. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the first one was what well, was basically written. Um, they went through uh, my editor, 
the lovely Mary Verney um, was wonderful to work with and she yeah did a structural edit and then um, a second round of edits, um, the copy edit and then proofreading, um, etc. And now it's just, yeah, um, in bookstores, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to actually, actually ask you about the editing. So having read a very early version and now the final product, although I can't exactly remember the, you know, everything <laughs> about that first one, um, but I'm interested to know how different is the book now from back in those days? Has it gone through, you know, a huge amount of changes or is it just tweaks here and there? Oh, no, it's gone through a huge amount of changes. I'm not sure which uh, version I last submitted to um, our critique group um, back then, but originally, because I wanted the STEM theme to be part of it, and initially I kind of wrote it as completely um, a narrative comprised of different experiments. So just every single scene was like Edie um, conducting an experiment. Um, and then at some point I changed that so that it was predominantly narrative with experiments throughout and it, yeah it read a uh, more I guess similarly to other <laughs> novels um, so that was probably the major kind of change that happened that was prior to submitting to an agent um, but yeah I mean it honestly if I looked at the original version it probably doesn't look a whole lot like the final version but um, yeah I think the but still the character is is the same that's yeah, what has yeah. Changed. yeah, yeah. The main crux of it. I mean, I, I definitely recognised characters and, and, yeah. and you know the experiments and where it was going. But yeah, yeah. Um, so I love the STEM aspect of this book and the focus on Edie and her sometimes wacky, sometimes sensible experiments. Did you set out to write a STEM book, or did that just come out of the character? Um, I think. Um... I actually just wrote a blog post for this for the, for the Penguin website. <laughs> so I um, I kind of started with the idea of wanting to incorporate science into a um, middle grade book and, and in a funny kind of fiction way, not a educational way. Um, so that's when I had the idea of like creating a character that thought of the world in terms of like it's a big science lab for her to explore. Um, and all the different things that go wrong and all the, um, yeah, the funny things that happen. But essentially I wanted to have the science and the fun and the humour in the book. So it probably started more as the STEM idea, but, um, yeah, and then the character kind of developed from there. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I love, I love that. I love her character. I love her, um, oh, her I different think... view of the world, yeah. <laughs> She's a lot of fun. She's um, yeah. Yeah, a little bit wacky, but very endearing, I think. <laughs> and and speaking of which, as as Edie gets deeper and deeper into trouble, I feel so bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> to make the story interesting, you need to put your characters in danger or, or in at least a negative situation. But how did that make you feel, putting your sweet character in those situations? Yeah, poor Edie. Um, <laughs> luckily, she's fictional. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to a real child. Um, <laughs> no, I guess... Um, I don't know, from the different writing courses I've done and also just reading a book, you know, I was working towards that kind of climax, uh, the peak of all the terrible things that happen. So I kind of had to keep thinking of what can go worse, what can go even worse. <laughs> um, poor Edie. But um, she does eventually make it through. That's amazing. Yeah. 
we know <laughs> you know she's going to triumph it's a kid's book so we have to keep yes, exactly <laughs> like I have to remind my son sometimes it's a kid's book don't worry it'll all be okay yeah definitely <laughs> Um, so now the book is punctuated with uh, the often hilarious illustrations by Sandy Flett, who's an amazing yes. illustrator. What was it like working with Sandy? Was it a, a lot of going back and forth to decide which parts to illustrate and what you had in mind, or was that mostly left to Sandy's discretion? Uh, it was actually – so I um, – well, firstly I'll say that Sandy is an amazing illustrator and I just think her illustrations are so cool. <laughs> They're really like uh, – she's just somehow – yeah, made the book um, just delightful with the, the little punctuating, uh, beautiful illustrations. Um, but yeah, I actually didn't have pretty much anything to do with the illustration side of things. I think um, in the, I think in the version that I ended up uh, ended up going through to my editor, I did have a couple of illustration suggestions just at various points. Um, and then, yeah, the way that Penguin, or at least my experience with Penguin Random House has been um, that they kind of, yeah, keep the writing and illustrating a little bit separate, I suppose. They um, coordinate it as opposed to the author, you know, liaising with the illustrator. Um, yeah, so it's coordinated through the editor and, um, yeah, essentially I think I saw some character roughs around the middle of last year, maybe June or July, and I had the opportunity to kind of give a little bit of feedback on, um, I suppose when you're an author and you've developed these characters in your head, um, yeah, they have to marry to a certain extent, I suppose, with what the, um, the illustrator comes up with, and, and they absolutely did. Um, I think I did have a couple of little comments, and um, but yeah, I mean, and then from there, I think, oh, what happened next? Within a few months, based or towards the end of the year, Sandy had um, the illustrations, and I saw them at maybe at various points, like a draft, and then in the final. But yeah, I mean, um, I just think she's done an awesome job. <laughs> it's very yeah, cool. it must must be very exciting to have had this character in your head for so long, and then for somebody to take that and make it visual, and then yeah. you get to see it. it. Must be so exciting. It's very cool, and I think it just makes it even better for the kids to be able to. Um, see what yeah to visualize it basically <laughs> it's yeah. really cool yeah and she's really captured um the, the slight humor and you know that little twinkle yeah. in um in Edie I love it yeah absolutely I love, I love the style yeah yeah so now that your first novel is out what's next for Edie's experiments will you be doing much marketing for it or are you already busy with book two um, I've actually written book two. So book two will come out in July. Um, so I basically wrote it um, around between about April and August or something last year, 2019. Um, and then we went through the structural editing, copy editing. It's now just in the process of being typeset, I think, onto the typeset pages. And then it'll go through proofreading and those kind of final um the last few checks and things. Um, so, yeah, the first two books, my role on them is, yeah, almost over. <laughs> well, aside from the, the actual book launch and um, publicity side of things, but in terms of writing it, the actual writing work is pretty much over. Um, yeah. yeah, but hopefully there'll be some other, got some other projects on the cards. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, hopefully we'll have some other, other books coming out uh, in the future as well. Oh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, in terms of you asking about marketing, um, yes, I did 
kind of the whole social media author platform side of things was quite new to me. I didn't really have, um, well, before I had the contracts, I didn't have an author website or an author um, Instagram or anything. And I've just at the start of this year set up an author Instagram. So I'm slowly learning how it all works and, um, yeah, trying to promote the book that way. Um, yeah, it's a whole new new thing to discover. <laughs> yes, lots of rabbit holes. Yes. <laughs> so um, I know that you have young children, is that right? That's right. Yeah, I've got a three-year-old and yeah. a five-year-old. Yeah. yeah, and I know how hard it can be to write with children around, so hard. Um, how do you manage to fit your writing and editing and all that comes with being an author around motherhood? Well, I um, so initially, like prior to getting um, – well, the picture book was kind of, that was, I started off writing as a hobby, essentially, when my youngest was probably um, less than a year. So it was kind of just my, this is when I was on maternity leave from work and um, it was just kind of my me time where I'd get to do a bit of writing and it was all, you know, lovely. And then my son would wake up and then that would be over. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of the hobby that I did. So that was fine for writing picture books. Like you don't, you can kind of fit it in the gaps and um, that, that worked okay for me. Uh, and then when I got onto the middle grade book, again, it was, um, I think I was back at work part-time at that point. Um, so it was just, yeah, that was a struggle because <laughs> I was trying to do it in the evenings and uh, yeah, sometimes it was a little bit hectic, but I suppose because I had, did have that really long, like I didn't have a deadline. This was just me writing the book so I could take as long as I needed. Um, but then when it got to actually signing the contract, so then I had the two-book deal and I knew I had to, yeah, do, you know, actually have deadlines and um, and edit the book to certain deadlines and also write the entire second book because I hadn't started that at all aside from, you know, a one-paragraph kind of idea of what I wanted to do with the second book. Um, yeah, so once I knew that, I then started to think, no, I have to approach this more as a job. Um, as opposed to my little hobby downtime thing. Um, so, yeah, initially I carved out half a day a week where I wasn't working and I wasn't looking after the kids and that was writing. Um, but that actually wasn't <laughs> really quite enough. Mm. Um, but when we, we actually relocated um, interstate from Brisbane to Adelaide uh, for my husband's work, so that was a good opportunity for me to take a break from um, the workforce or the rest of the workforce and um, actually focus on the writing. So for a couple of months um, I did, uh, I essentially was working on the novel, uh, the second novel, maybe three days a week-ish. So that was kind of the kids were in either school or kindy and I was writing, uh, you know, devoting that time to the writing uh, yeah, <laughs> so it wasn't a matter of it's just it's just too hard to try to fit it in at the same time as looking after kids. That was my experience anyway. As with any other job, um, it's very hard to do it while you're trying to look after kids. So yeah, I had to actually pencil the time in. Yeah, yeah, I totally get you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I think. Um, one thing I struggle with is, you know, my kids are older so I can write when they're at home but it's just being able to complete a thought without interruption. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's just you just need that time to just follow those thoughts along and see where they go and, Definitely. yeah, it's yeah. really <laughs> complete peace and, yeah, time without. Uh, yeah, so now to our 
favourite question. What okay. is one middle grade book that you think that every child should read? Okay, that is a great question. I, um, I'm always really bad at questions like that because I, <laughs> I can never pick one. Uh, my favourite books are always funny books, um, which you probably guessed from Edith's experiments anyway. But I can't really pick just one, so one funny book that is. So the one middle grade book that I'll recommend that I read in the past uh, year or so was Missing by Sue Whiting. And I really liked it. It was not, um, you know, not humorous or anything. It was um, quite a serious, um, yeah, lovely story. And, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. So I'll, I'll recommend that one. Yeah, I enjoyed that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick. Uh, so now in 2020, we are starting a new segment called Six Quick Questions. Okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> so throw these questions at you and see what comes up. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready, I think. Keyboard or pen and paper? Ooh, keyboard. Favourite writing snack? Oh, chocolate. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee, a lot of coffee. I have young kids, so. <laughs> Ebook or the real thing? Real thing. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Comedy or tragedy? Comedy. <laughs> that was an easy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, mm, I would probably say tra- comedy, but, you know, occasionally a tragedy is like, you know, yeah. they're really good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And so one final question. Where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in your books? Yeah, for sure. So my website is um, www.charlottebarkler.com. You can find me on Instagram at charlottebarklerbooks. And the launch for Edie's Experiments Book 1 is um, actually happening on Sunday 23rd of February at Dylan's Bookshop in Norwood in Adelaide. So if you happen to live in Adelaide, I'd love to see you there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Charlotte. Congratulations. And thank best you of so luck. Much with the rest of your books sounds like a fun busy year for you uh thank you so much it's been really lovely to chat thank you (laughs) here we are at middle grade mavens and today we're talking books with stem themes that is science technology engineering and mathematics author Catherine pelosi has a wealth of experience when it comes to stem topics Her book, Quark's Academy, published by Hachette in January 2018, is described as science, but not as you know it. Here's the blurb. Junior science geniuses Augustine, Celeste and Oscar can't believe their luck when they're accepted into an elite and mysterious science academy, summer camp run by the elusive inventor Quark. From the moment they step inside the gates of Quark's Academy at the end of Molecular Drive, they know they're in for a week they'll never forget. But things at the Academy are not quite what they seem and the three quickly realise that they'll need to put their squabbles aside and their heads together if they're ever going to get out of there alive. How incredible does that sound? Now, we thought it would be awesome to invite Catherine into the middle grade Maven's hot seat for some authorly banter, and guess what? She agreed. Hi, Catherine, and thanks for joining us at Middle Grade Maven's. Hi, Julie. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Just reading that blurb, it's completely up our alley. We, we totally have to read Quark's Academy. We have to get a copy in our hands very soon, I think. Oh, that would be great. Happy to send you a copy. Uh, gosh, I've just realised that sounds like I was begging for a copy. Never mind. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> very generous. <laughs> so tell us, Catherine, where did you get your start in writing? Uh, well, I'm one of those people that have always loved writing, especially at school, but it took me a really long time to work out that I could actually be an author. Yes. So I, yeah, so I, I finished school and I went and did all the other, I went to uni and ended up in marketing events communications, but um, it was during a stint in London, I was sitting in an office and I just started to think about story ideas in the way I used to when I was at school. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And one of them sort of really got my attention. And I started to write. It was a middle grade idea. But I didn't know a lot about the whole craft of writing. So when I came back to Australia, I did a writing course. Mm, and that just lovely. opened up. Yeah, it, you know, once you go through that door, it's like you can't go back. There's just so much to learn and people to meet. And I just loved it. And I thought, yep, this is what I want to do. So it sort of started from there. Brilliant. So where did you get the actual inspiration for Quark's Academy? Uh, well, I decided that I wanted to write middle grade and I did join a writing group, but it was a picture book writing group. So I was in that for quite a few years and I found, all, I love picture books and I love writing them, but a lot of my ideas were sort of bigger in the way that they sought, uh, suited middle grade better than a picture book. So I actually started a middle grade writing group and it was during that time I did a course at the Sydney Observatory, which is just this fantastic, really old building in Sydney. And I had this great professor who was teaching us science and the universe. And uh, it was just a casual course I did for fun. Um, but the course was held in this room, like down in the sort of depths of the building. It was just had such a great atmosphere. And the teacher was so inspiring that I started to think about science and how much we don't know and what would it be like to go to a place where you study science every day and the idea just started to develop from there and I just kept building thinking what could make this more exciting or oh, how about kids have a competition where they're competing to create the best invention so I just started to develop really from that point. Oh, my gosh, it sounds amazing. I, I think I want to go to that building. <laughs> you have to. I, I talk about it a lot when I do school talks and that sort of thing. I always yeah. share that story because I love, you know, talking about where ideas come from. But that building especially is just, it's just got this atmosphere. Magical. It's, yeah, magical, exactly. Oh. So how long did it take you to write it? And I know there's a lot of sciencey stuff in there. So did you have to do extra research as well? Uh, I always find that really hard to answer how long because I did it in a sort of stop start fashion you know it wasn't a consistent block of writing which is I guess a lot of people write like that because you're thinning it in around work and other life commitments but I think I was working um, at the time full-time so it was writing in the morning and lunch breaks and weekends um, I think it would have been somewhere between nine months and a year to write yeah. and taking a chapter each month to my writing group and getting that really detailed feedback, which is incredibly helpful. Um, so, yeah, I would say about a year all up. And in terms of research, I mean, a lot of the ideas in there are really quite wild and out of the box. So they're not, um, 
you know, science-y necessarily, things like time travel and gigantic rabbits and laser beams and <laughs> quite, quite just really have come from my imagination. But um, when I was developing the characters, there's three main ones and each of those characters has a different area of science that they're interested in. So, for example, Celeste is really into time travel and wants to invent a time travel machine. So when I started writing that, I thought, well, I I need to sort of get my head around how that might work. So then I would dip into Google and science books and look at things like black holes. And (laughs) (laughs) so it was more sort of along the way that I would I would research. And um, yeah, wherever I've mentioned science, I've tried I I wanted it to be accurate. That was really important. So if I was you know, referencing an actual scientific concept, it was important that was right. But a lot of it is just my wild, fantastic imagination. imagination. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> so this is your debut middle grade, I believe. Can you share how it came to publication? Uh, yeah, so when I started um, the writing group and the courses and I made the decision that I wanted to treat it really seriously, um, being a writer, I then started to go to a lot of events in Sydney and different states. And, you know, we're so lucky in Australia, we have so many brilliant uh, writing events yes. in different areas, aren't we? There's stats. Yes. And I, 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 yeah, and I found that really um, surprising because I didn't know much about it back at that point. And there's just so many opportunities to get in front of editors and network with people. So, I started taking every opportunity that came my way. And there's the CYA conference in Brisbane, which I'm sure you're aware of. Oh, yes. Um, Yeah. So they were offering five-minute pitches, which I think they still do. Um, So I booked in a few and I secured one with agent Alex Adset. And it was five minutes, so I knew I had, you know, that is, it goes so quickly. So I really yeah. had to, yeah, like <clears throat> nail that pitch and get it really succinct. Um, so I spent a lot of time working on the pitch um, and, yeah, and delivered it to Alex and thankfully she was interested to to read more. So that sort of started that um, relationship and we had emails and I developed it a little bit more. And then she signed me on and went out to submission and came back um, with an offer from Hachette. So that was very exciting. Yeah. So amazing. (laughs) So, excuse me, let's talk book covers. Yours is fantastically fun and sciencey all rolled into one. How did that come to be? I love talking about book covers. They're the best. So so do I. I know. I could just stare at book covers all day long. Um, Mm. Well, I mean, the the first time going through the process, I didn't really know what to expect, but I did have some advice from people saying to look at other covers that you think would suit your story. So I did have some ideas in mind. You know, I've always been really drawn to those sort of darker, quirky uh, middle grade books like The Roald Dahl and uh, Lemony Snickets and Neil Gaiman. So I sort of thought, um, that more gothic-y style would be what it would end up being. But actually, as I started going through the editing process, some of the um, darker points in the story were removed. Yeah, sure. So, sorry about that <coughs> ringing in the background. Um, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, so um, it sort of changed and it was good in the end because I think it the cover reflects what the story is. And that was just a process of working through my editor 
and she would send work with designers and then send me um, you know different samples and I'd have input and then we'd work on it again and interestingly the sales and marketing team have a really big input too which I think is so important yes you know they're the experts and they know what um, sells and what's going to work for your target market against what else is out there in the marketplace so yeah it really interesting process and and now I sort of have a better idea of how it works it'll be interesting hopefully for the next time yeah it's very exciting must be amazing to see it for the first time I'd say yeah, really interesting. And I think with the colour scheme as well, um, that was something I really love because when you go into a bookstore and you stand in front of the, like, the middle grade section, it's almost overwhelming. There's so yes. books. <laughs> and what I loved about the colour scheme with Quarks is it does pop and even when it, it's spine, um, you know, in, yeah, the, the colour's yep. not out, you can see that orange spine. Which, which really is really fun. important, yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, so colour's a really important thing too. It's quite funny because the Mavens put book covers on our Instagram all the time and so many are blue. <laughs> it's just oh, like, really? you know, that, yeah. oh, have you got a book that's blue? You know, you hear those <laughs> stupid bookshop requests. Oh, the cover was blue. <laughs> I think Quarks has got a little bit of blue in it. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I can't really take responsibility for that, but yeah, correct. <laughs> So what did your debut year involve and would you share any do's or do nots for an author entering their debut year? The debut year, it was very busy. Um, So Quarks came out in February and then there was just lots of, you know, the promotion and the publicity stuff. And then I was really um, fortunate enough to attend the Sharjah Children's Reading Festival in the UAE. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that invitation sort of came out of nowhere and I obviously took it with both hands and what an incredible experience. I feel really lucky I got to do that and talk to children on the other side of the world. Yes. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, lots of book um, bookstore visits and school visits and then later that year in I think it was August um, my first picture book came out so wow. there was, yeah, it was really busy, but it was quite good timing because it was just before book week. And then. Lovely. Yeah. So having a picture book and a middle grade to go into schools meant I could talk to sort of K to six. Wider. Yeah. Wider audience. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. So it was, it was great. It was a really sort of mind blowing year and I really enjoyed it. In terms of do's and don'ts, I mean, I don't know if there is like a sort of hard and fast list on this because I guess everyone's book's different. Everyone's, yeah. you know, publishers different, their marketing campaigns are different. But, I mean, I'm definitely happy to share what I think worked and doesn't work. Um, yep. So with with a do, I would say definitely do celebrate. Yes. I, yeah. And so I'd been to, you know, lots of events and one of the questions that often comes up on those editor panels is someone will ask is it worthwhile having a book launch and nine out of ten times the response would be look you know it's not really going to impact sales it can be quite costly and time consuming and I think that's a very valid response really yeah but it was one of my writing friends Ramona who who said after one of those conferences actually that you know I think it's really important to celebrate that milestone 
And isn't that right? I mean, because I, I was sort of umming and ahhing about whether to do a book launch and her words always stuck with me. I'm like, you're so right because we put so much time into yep. writing and, yep. you know, not just the physical act of sitting in our laptop but the time that, you know, the headspace and, you know, we get so sort of revved up with the, you know, the dream of being published. I think it's so important to to mark that milestone. So do celebrate. That would be a big yes. one. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say do perfect your pitch because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd spent, like I said, a lot of time trying to work out my pitch before I got published so I could try and sell it. But then once you get published, um, the amount of times people ask you, what's your book about? And yes. Don't they? And you really need to be able to say succinctly what your book is. No one wants Elevator. to. Elevator. Elevator pitch style, pitch. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I keep refining mine and working on it, but I think that's something we don't really think about, but it's important because you'll be asked, you know, by your next door neighbour, by the person at the bookstore, you know, and you want to be able to quickly say it in a way that they go, ooh, I like the sound of that. I want to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of don'ts, I would say don't stop writing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, I don't know how, don't ask me how to fit that in with all the promotion and everything else in life, but I think it's a, an important one as well because, um, you know, books don't have a really long life, unfortunately, because there's so many coming in. I felt really lucky that the promotion for Quarks and publicity sort of seemed to go for the whole year. Yep, yep. I think the ho- having a picture book come out helped that, but um, usually the shelf life isn't very long. So at some point your editor or your agent or critique buddy is going to turn around and say, what's next? Yeah. And- <laughs> So you need to keep thinking, if you want to do it long term, you need to keep thinking ahead because, you know, once you get that next publishing deal, it's going to be at least a year till it's out there. So you have to think quite long term. So, um, yeah, don't stop writing. And the other one I would say is don't rely on your publisher to do all the publicity, especially in the first few months um, I think that's a really important time where you've got to get out there, yep. visit stores, offer to do a talk at local schools, um, go to events. I think you've really got to put in the yards and put in the effort to get out there and yep. get your book out there and work with your publisher and find out what they're doing and what gaps there are and how you can help. But it's um, it's definitely a, a joint effort. Yeah. And, yep. you know, and, and it's hard because a lot of the time you might do a talk and you have to prepare for the talk. You've got to drive there or whatever. It's a lot of time and you, you're not necessarily going to be paid. But, you know, by the time your next one comes out, you would have formed a really great connection. And, and you it's likely that they'll invite you back when your next yes, one comes. Yes. So, yeah, I think that's an Wonderful. important one. Fantastic. Well, let's get back to it. How do you manage the pressures of life and still have time to write? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't have, I, mean, I don't have an answer for this. I think it's just, it's always, it's a juggle for every writer, isn't it? Just trying yes. to yep. fit it in. I work um, full time, but I, the way I've set up my working week now is a little bit more flexible, which is really great. So I've got a bit more time to write and go and do talks if that ever comes up. Um, 
yeah, I'm trying this year to be a bit more efficient because I get very um, consumed by a story and it just occupies all my time. Space. I was out with, and no, it doesn't. I was out with friends the other day and we were having a drink and all of a sudden I started thinking about book titles and I'm like, oh my goodness, focus. <laughs> Not, yes. <laughs> so it's just, um, I think, becoming efficient and um yeah, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'm still working no on it. We'll, we'll <laughs> yep. keep the line open. Yeah. <laughs> so do you personally read widely in the genre and age that you write for? I do. I've always loved middle grade. And, um, yeah, I, I jump around with my reading. I mean, I, I, I might be reading a middle grade, then I read an adult novel, then a picture book. So I, I'm quite a wide reader. Uh, but, yeah, I yeah, I do love middle grade. I always have. It's just something about the – it must be my inner child is like a 10 or 11 or something. I, I, I exactly. love that. <laughs> Is that the same for you? Well, I like to say I'm a nine-year-old boy, so. Oh, oh interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just – that middle grade just captures that really fun time in childhood before it gets all complicated with the teens and I, yeah. I think – and it's something about how a lot of middle grade books tackle those issues like friendship and family stuff, but often in a really fun way. That's what I love about it. Yep. So in your wide reading, what is one middle grade book every child should have the opportunity of reading, apart from your book, of course? Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> well, I, th I mentioned I do like those the dark, quirky sort of books. They're the ones that um, – I'm always drawn to. I'm reading Malamanda at the moment, which oh, I'm really, yes. very cool. Um, yes. <laughs> but actually my recommendations probably surprising given I've just said that. I would say um, Because of Winn-Dixie by Kate DiCamillo. Right, yes. Um, yep. I just love her books. I love her writing and I did that book. The way she captures the protagonist's voice is sort of like nothing else. Yeah. And I love that she – you can just tell how much she loves animals and the character and personality she puts into Winn-Dixie, the dog, is is pretty spectacular. So yep. that would be my top pick. Amazing, yes. Pamela would completely agree. I oh. think she's actually reading that to her boys at the moment as well. So. Oh, I love it. It's the one book I, I will keep rereading. I just love it. <laughs> well, well, we agree. <laughs> so where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books? Um, I, my website is Catherine Pelosi, Catherine with a C, and it's P-E-L-O-S-I. And um, I'm also on Instagram at Catherine Pelosi Author. And I love connecting with other middle grade enthusiasts. So would love to um, meet anyone over there. That'd be great. Oh, yes. I think we might have connected with you through Instagram as well. So fantastic. Yeah. Now we have, well, I have loved having you on our show. Um, um, we cannot wait to see what is coming. But I, I'm very careful in um, asking an author what's coming in the wings, just in case they want to shut me down and say, there's nothing coming, <laughs> Julie. <laughs> but I think I've added this question in. Is there anything we should be waiting for or is it a wait and see? Uh, it's a wait and see. I'm in the process of writing um, middle grade, definitely. Beautiful. So um, that's what I'll say for now and hopefully I'll be able to talk more 
down the track well once we get down the track we'd love to hear from you again it's been a pleasure and thank you Catherine for joining us at middle grade mavens thanks so much julie we're so excited to be back in the swing of reviews and interviews for 2020 Next up, Pamela reviews Danny Best by Jen Storer. Plus, Jen also stops in for an interview. And Julie reviews Boot Book 2, The Rusty Rescue by Shane Hegarty. If you'd like to know more about The Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckermann.net.